Welcome to Two Open Doors, the podcast that explores our power to open or close the doors of relationship with the important people in our lives. We hope you'll learn from and share your wisdom with our community. Thanks for joining us. Sex holds many surprises and puzzles for most or all of us humans. At times, it's the source of the most sublime and satisfying experiences that we can undergo, while at other times it can plunge us into the depths of disappointment and questioning of ourselves. Sex is a central force in our lives, and it's a key ingredient in the realm of deep personal connections. As such, it's worth knowing something about. In this post, we'll deepen our understanding of how sex works, by taking a look at several influential and insightful models of the human sexual response cycle, or SRC. In spite of its mysteries, sex isn't something that's beyond our understanding, at least to a point. There's some regularity to a sexual experience. It entails the interplay of attraction, arousal, and response. Each of those phases, or states, plays out on the multiple dimensions of the physical body, or physiology, the emotions, and conscious thoughts, and even spirituality, which seems to exist on the plane of the emotions. A sexual experience can evolve along a progression of steps or phases. That progression can be repeated to define a sexual response cycle, or SRC. The seminal scientific understanding of how this works was achieved by William H. Masters and Virginia E. Johnson in the mid-1960s through the early 1970s. Masters and Johnson used scientific instrumentation and experimental techniques to observe a group of men and women who volunteered to be studied as they underwent sexual experiences. Masters and Johnson realized, of course, that sexual experience entailed psychological and emotional responses, in addition to physiological ones. However, they chose to not try to study those, since there were no easy ways to do scientific studies of psychological or emotional factors. Masters and Johnson discovered that sexual experiences proceed through four phases. The first is excitement, during which sexual arousal builds, marked by physiological changes such as vasocongestion or blood engorgement of the genitals, lubrication, and changes in muscle tone. This is followed by a plateau, during which these physiological signs intensify. This is followed by orgasm, at times, if the physiological excitement exceeds some orgasmic threshold. This is marked by physiological climax, rhythmic muscle contractions and ejaculation, and by a psychological climax, or feelings of warmth and pleasure. And then comes resolution, during which the signs of excitement abate, and they are replaced by feelings of contentment, relaxation, and exhaustion, and during which further sexual response is not possible. This is referred to as a refractory period. There are a few things worth noting about this process. First, the sequence varies widely as to how quickly or slowly the transitions between phases occur. Masters and Johnson didn't study the undoubtedly many factors that affect the pace of these transitions. Second, orgasm doesn't always occur during a sexual experience, as all adults learn. The conditions must be right for the level of sexual excitement to exceed the orgasmic threshold. Relatively little has been written about orgasmic threshold, despite its importance in the sexual response. That threshold involves not only physical attributes such as nerve sensitivity, but also psychological and emotional factors, such as mental focus on the pleasure of the sexual experience. 
Certainly, one's mindset and emotional state can either increase or decrease one's probability of a reaching orgasm during a sexual experience. Third, repeated orgasms are possible or even probable in a receptive sexual state, especially for women. Unlike men, women have a short or non-existent refractory period, that is, the time during which they can't attain another orgasm. A woman can potentially continue to experience consecutive orgasms until she has reached her point of satiety. And fourth, the resolution phase is not just a relatively insignificant time during which the signs of sexual arousal disappear. Instead, that's also a period during which bonding can occur between partners, enabled by a burst of the hormone oxytocin, which is sometimes called the love hormone, though it also serves many other functions besides bonding. That reality reminds us that sex creates attachment between people, and that being fully present to enjoy the glow that accompanies sexual experiences is important for building deep connections. Since the time of Masters and Johnson's pioneering work, our understanding of the sexual response cycle has significantly broadened and deepened. In particular, the initial male-centered understanding of the SRC has been extended to address the somewhat different but equally important female experience of sexuality. In addition, Masters and Johnson studies have been extended to account for the crucially important role of thoughts, beliefs, and emotions in shaping sexual responses. Let's think about just a few of these specific advances. Several female researchers have led the charge in understanding the female experience of sexuality. In 1979, Helen Singer Kaplan focused on desire as the motivator for initiation of the sexual response cycle. Kaplan studied female sexuality with an interest in learning how that differs from male sexuality. She developed a triphasic SRC model in which desire creates sexual arousal, which in turn can lead to orgasm in the ensuing resolution phase. That same year, the very insightful sex therapist, researcher, teacher, and author, Gina Ogden, took a novel look at the SRC. Ogden focused on the experiential aspects of the sexual response, rather than on the sort of sequence of sexual phases that was studied by Masters and Johnson and by Helen Kaplan. She identified pleasure, orgasm, and ecstasy as the three core aspects of sexual experiences for women, noting that these can occur simultaneously. Ogden positioned female sexuality as a flexible, multifaceted experience, rather than as a rigid progression of sexual states. She highlighted the importance of psychological and emotional factors in establishing a context for sexual receptiveness, and she also noted the importance of spirituality and intimacy in sex. As an author, Gina Ogden wrote several influential books that shed much light on the female sexual experience. These include Women Who Love, published in 1994, The Heart and Soul of Sex, published in 2006, and The Return of Desire, published in 2008. All of these are recommended reading. In the 2000 timeframe, sex researcher Rosemary Basson proposed yet a different model of the female sexual response, noting that a female-centered SRC model is warranted because of male versus female differences in sexual motivation, orgasm, and physical versus psychic concordance, or agreement between a person's physical and mental-emotional experiences of sex. For Basson, the female SRC is best depicted as a circular connection of factors that begin with experiencing intimacy 
that intimacy then creates receptiveness to sexual stimuli, which can then create sexual arousal. That path operates in parallel with arousal caused by a woman's desire. Arousal and desire then create a feeling of intimacy, completing the circle. One of Basson's major contributions was the notion of responsive desire, in which desire can result from a woman's experience of sexual arousal, rather than arousal originating in spontaneous desire. In keeping with Gina Ogden's views, female sexuality is flexible and can play out in a variety of ways and sequences. Let's look at one other significant advance in our understanding of the sexual response cycle. In 1999, John Bancroft and Eric Johnson developed a dual-control model of the SRC in which the observed variability in people's sexual responses are attributed to the interaction between a neurobiological sexual excitation system, or SES, and a sexual inhibition system, or SIS. Sexual stimuli, such as sexy images, trigger the SES which operates at the level of physiological response and emotional response. Those responses originate in the limbic system, which is part of the midbrain. In effect, the SES serves as a gas pedal to promote responsiveness to sexual stimuli. Thoughts, which originate in the cortex, suppress sexual expression through the SIS. In the organizational scheme of the human central nervous system, the cortex sits above the evolutionarily older limbic system. Each person is thought to have a specific resting or tonic level of SIS activity, which produces a higher or lower threshold for sexual expression. That threshold operates as a sort of parking brake for sexual expression. A relatively inactive SIS allows for the easy expression of responses to sexual stimuli. Alcohol and some drugs can reduce the activity of the SIS, thus increasing sexual responsiveness, or effectively reducing sexual control. The dual control model proposes that the SES and SIS act in opposition to one another, with the SES facilitating a response to sexual stimuli, while the SIS suppresses such a response. For a person to become sexually aroused, that person's SES must overcome the background break produced by the SIS. The resulting balancing act goes far toward explaining how conscious thoughts interact with subconscious emotions and drives to produce sexual arousal. In my 2015 PhD dissertation, I introduced an emotional, mental, physical, or EMP model of the sexual response cycle. My goal was to synthesize the previously created SRC models to describe the interactions between the various factors that participate in a sexual experience. The EMP model will be described in my next post. As a sneak preview, though, it's a hierarchical model in which physical or physiological factors interact with emotional factors, including felt experiences of spirituality, and with mental factors, that is, thoughts and beliefs to drive transitions between a state of sexual neutrality into a state of sexual arousal and then into an expression of a sexual response or orgasm, and finally culminating with recovery from that response or resolution. Stay tuned! To learn more about Two Open Doors and to engage with our community, I'd like to invite you to visit the Two Open Doors website at twoopendoors.com and the Two Open Doors private Facebook group. 
Finally, I invite you to contact me directly by writing to me at claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, at twoopendoors.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I'll use your inputs to guide my work on future blog posts and podcast episodes. Thanks for visiting Two Open Doors. Two Open Doors